Now, this is Vision Weekend, and so let me, let me just explain to you Vision Weekend and why we started this. Uh, Vision Weekend is a time that we just we pull aside, we take a weekend, and so we make two things available to you. We make a financial statement available to you and a ministry statement, a financial report, a ministry report. And so I'm not going to go through those numbers during the service. I don't want to turn this into like a traditional business meeting. Uh, some of you, that would give you like flashbacks of the past and wouldn't be a good thing. And so... Uh, so I'm not going to run through those numbers with you, but what we are going to do, we're going to make this available on, on the website. So tomorrow, uh, Monday morning, you can go to our website or any time after that, fellowshiptherockies.org, and so there'll be a financial uh, report for you uh, to review, and then there'll be a ministry report for you to review, and the ministry report will simply help you understand average attendance and how many people met Christ, how many people were baptized, what we're doing in Haiti and what we're doing in Africa and the schools that we've adopted, uh, some of the ministry, what's going on in the student ministry and all of our ministry areas. And so we'll make that available to you. I didn't want to take up my time uh, by just running through some stale numbers. Fact is, there's some things that God has really laid on my heart that I, I just I, I want to walk through with you. And so I, I just want you to know that like my, my heart is full. Uh, I am really, really excited about the future of Fellowship of the Rockies and where we're at and what God is doing. Um, it, it hasn't always been like that. There was a time early when we planted this church that I, I felt pretty alone. I felt all alone, and actually, we went through some pretty sketchy times. For those of you that were with us in that time, you know that. But you know what? It's been many, many years since I felt all along in, alone in ministry, uh, and you have a lot to do with that. And so I just want to tell you how much I love you, how thankful I am for you, how thankful I am that we serve together, we fit together perfectly, and we're doing life together, and we're doing ministry together, and we're just trusting God and seeing what God's going to do. And so this weekend, I, I, I just want to talk to you about some values, some priorities, some principles that I believe allows God to bless our church, that I believe that God allows to, to bless us. fact is Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. And I'm not going to go through all the verses that I have for you in you version. Some of these things I'm just going to explain to you. Uh, here's what the scripture says. <coughs> it said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And so this started me on a journey to ask myself and answer this question, why is Fellowship the Rockies so blessed? Why has Fellowship the Rockies been blessed for well over 20 years in Pueblo, Colorado, to where it seems like we're, we're still baptizing, we're still stretching, we're still reaching, and God is still doing some pretty good things and pretty cool things in this church. And so because I think it's important for us to know our priorities and know our values because as any organization grows... Organizations have a tendency for some drift. Organizations have some tendency, if they're not careful, and even churches, if they're not careful, as they grow, they get away from their values and the priorities they use to start the church. And so on Friday, I was watching Billy Graham's funeral, as maybe many of you have or seen some clips of it on social media. And I'm watching Billy Graham's funeral, and there were some things that just, just really struck me in his funeral. And one of the things that just deeply impressed me is Billy Graham, all the way through the life, his life, knew his value and his priorities. He knew his assignment. He knew what God had called him to, and he never wavered. I watched his kids get up on the platform and eulogize him, and they talked about him about as a dad, and, and his kids would talk about his love of God and love of people. His kids would talk about, you know what, our dad, it didn't matter if he was in a crusade preaching to hundreds of thousands of people or if he was in the home, he was the same person. 
Our dad was the same person on the platform as he was in the home. The kids would share stories about stumbling into Billy Graham's study and, and Billy didn't know that they were walking into the room and they'd see their dad laid out before the Lord just crying out to God and praying. They said our God, was, our, our dad was like, was like the real deal. He was like genuine. Fact is, one of his daughters said this, we knew our dad wasn't God, but he taught us what God was like. He taught us what love is. He taught us what forgiveness is. And they said over and over, our dad knew his values and his principles and his priorities. So this morning, here's what I want to do. I took out a yellow pad uh, many, many weeks ago, and I started listing the values, the priorities that I believe God allows God to bless Fellowship of the Rockies. I came up with 20. But I didn't think you'd sit through 20. <laughs> so I, I made it all the way down. I, I, got, I got our top four, Okay. So I just want to walk with you, and then we're going to take communion together in a few moments. And so if you're visiting with us, it's your first weekend with us. And I'm telling you, this is a great weekend for you to be here uh, because you're going to hear some of the values and the principles that we hold closely at Fellowship of the Rockies. So the first one is this. We value his presence. We value the presence of God. One of the reasons we value the presence of God because we could not do this without him. We could not have the vision that we have. We could not have the goals that we have. Listen, we cannot do church in the way that God calls us to do church without God's presence here. And so we value him. We value his presence. We value him speaking to us, him guiding us, him leading us. And so we, we experience or we invite the presence of God through two different ways. The first one is this. It's just simply through his word. I mean, simply through his word. We honor his word. We preach his word. We teach his word. Uh, when we... When we planted Fellowship of the Rockies in the original vision, has continued to be our vision. We, we began this church with a belief that, you know what? The Bible is the Word of God. And the Bible is, is, is not a, a group of fables, uh, is not a group of stories, but the Bible is, is God revealing Himself to us. It's God revealing truth to us. It's God revealing Himself to us. And many times it is, it is God revealing us to us. Where James says that the Bible is like a mirror and it reflects back to us. And so, so many times it's, it's revealing some things about us, ourselves, some things that we like and maybe some things that we don't like or we think that need to change. In other words, that I believe that the church, if the church wants the presence of God on their life in the, in the, in, in the services, then, then, then the church has to regard the scriptures as the final authority in their life. In other words, that we believe that it's infallible, it's true. And that we can stake our life on the Word of God. 1 Thessalonians 2.13 says this. He says, and we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the Word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the Word of men, but as what it really is, the Word of God, which is at work in you believers. In other words, that's God working in you. James says this, the way that you know that you've received the Word if you live the word. In other words, James said this, don't be just hearers of the word, but be doers of the word. And when we, when we receive the word of God, it is at work in us, and it changes, it changes the way we handle our marriage. It changes the way we handle our children. It changes the way we handle our finances. It changes the way we handle relationships. In other words, it changes everything about us because we believe that the word of God is the final authority. See, I, I think there's a di big difference in a Bible-believing church and a Bible-teaching church. And the church needs to be a place to regardless where you are in your spiritual journey, regardless where you are in spiritual discipleship or, or spiritual maturity, 
that all of us are increasing in knowledge and, and truth because the scriptures are, are like God breathed and they're useful for teaching and correction. This is one of the main reasons that we launch Next Steps here. And, and I believe Next Steps is four classes. It meets every Sunday, 1030 in the Welcome Center. And Next Steps will help give you the tools for spiritual formation, for spiritual discipleship. It will help you, equip you to do the work of the ministry to where you understand your giftedness and all of those other things. And so, so I, it, it's my goal and it's my prayer that every one of us would walk through at some point Next Steps. I think it would help every one of us, whether you're a member or whether you're a tender, not only to learn some things about Fellowship the Rockies, but to help you with the tools that you need in spiritual formation. And so we... we we believe the scriptures. First uh, Timothy 4.16 says this. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this. For by doing so, you will save both yourselves and your hearers. In other words, this is one of the reasons we life journal. This is one of the reasons where we, we daily, we daily pull away. We daily read scriptures and we take the scriptures and we simply apply them to our life. We apply them to our marriages, or our relationships, or, or our, our business, our careers, and and. And to where, to where it connects, see, <clears throat> in the Bible, the word religion meant something totally different than it means today. Today, Westerners have taken this word religion, and it's almost like it's, it's a hobby. It's almost like it's detached from everything else. It's formality without any life change. And it's not attached to anything. It doesn't affect your marriage. It doesn't affect your life. It doesn't affect how you handle your resources. It doesn't affect anything about you. But, but religion in Paul's day, religion in, in, in the New Testament, if you, if you study the etymology of that word and you go back to the Latin root word where we get our word religion, you know what it means? It simply means this. It means to be binded together. It means to be connected. St. Augustine wrote a lot on this word religion to mean that it's when you, it's when you connect. It's when you connect, this, when you connect God to your daily life. It's when you connect God to, 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 to your life. In other words, to where you're able to take his word and apply it to your life and apply it to your marriages. And, and, and that's why James says, don't merely be hearers of the word, be doers of the word. And so we take the Bible here and we apply it to our situations. It was said of Jesus that as it was his custom that he would go to synagogues and he would open up the, the scrolls and he would begin to teach. And you know how Jesus taught in that day? He would take the scriptures and he would apply it directly to someone's life. And a lot of times in Jesus' day, they didn't like truth. And a lot of time in our day, people don't like truth. There was a one time that Jesus was preaching in a synagogue. He had applied it to their situation. And they got so angry, they tried to take him to a brow of a cliff and push, it, push him over because they didn't like, like truth. And so here at Fellowship of the Rockies, we work really hard to make the Bible come alive. We, we, we want to create a hunger in you for his word. And we want it to come alive in you. We, we want people walking out of our services after we open up the scriptures, after we worship together, and say, you know what, that, that spoke to me. I mean, that spoke to me. Has, have they been following me around? Do they know what's going on in my house? Do they know, do they know those situations? How did they know that? 
In other words, we want people walking out. So there's some things I need to change in my life. I may need to change my attitude. I, I may need to grow in faith. I may need to quit throwing golf clubs on the golf course. And, and we, we want people making some changes and taking the scripture and apply it to their life. So another way we invite God's presence into our, into our lives and into our church is by worship. The word and then how we handle worship. We believe meaningful worship is when, we, is when we come into the presence of God together. Listen, we know that as New Testament believers, we are carriers of the presence of God. And something happens corporately when we all come together and enter the presence of God together because people have a need to communicate with God. And so we, we, have, a, we have an unbelievable challenge to build a church in, in our culture. This is the busiest culture of all time. This is the busiest culture in the history of our world, the history of America, and this is the most medicated culture in our history. Right? And people are so distracted. There are people that cannot make it an hour without social media, whether it's Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or so, some social media platform. It's hard for them to pull away. And the way I believe that we teach people how to have a less distracted life is to teach them what it means to worship him, what it means to come into his presence, whether it's through his word or whether it's through, through this issue of, of, of worship. Because our culture, I believe, has stopped using worship as a verb and they started using it as a noun. Fact is, if you go through scripture, you'll learn that the word worship in the Bible, nowhere is it a noun. It's always a verb. Worship is something that you do. Worship is something that you bring. Worship is something that you sacrifice. Worship is something that you prepare for. See, when you turn worship into a noun, then all of a sudden you can come to the you could come you could come to the place and you can make worship about your experience. And when you think it's about your experience, then all of a sudden you begin to grade worship. But guess what? You don't give to give worship a grade. Worship ultimately is not for you. Worship is for the heart of God. And then in that moment, he speaks to us. See, ch church is supposed to be a place where people can come into a, the presence of God and have an encounter with him. One of, one of, the, one of my personal favorite scriptures or groups of scriptures in, in, in the Bible is Matthew 26, 6 through 13. And there's a worship service going on. Jesus is there and the disciples are there. Uh, some Pharisees are there. And then a, a sinful woman comes in. Was, the Bible describes her as that. And so the sinful woman comes in. And all of a sudden, she is so overtaken in worship that, that she worships Jesus extravagantly. And you see all the postures of worship. She bows down. She kneels. She raises hands. And then all of a sudden, she takes out this alabaster jar of perfume. And she breaks this perfume out in, on the feet of Jesus and like this aroma that comes to the room. Well, the disciples turn to her. And they look at her, and they start mocking her, and they start making fun of her. And they start saying how wasteful that is because that jar of perfume, that was equal to a year's worth of wages. She gave a year's worth of wages to Jesus. And so the disciples start mocking her and criticizing her and, and, and making fun of her. And Jesus rebukes them. That's why I think it's so dangerous in our culture for us to mock someone, to ridicule someone, to make fun of someone, the way in which they worship, the way in which they lift hands, the way in which they kneel, their style of worship. I think it's, I think it's so dangerous when believers start making fun of people or pointing out people or mocking people the way in which they worship. So Jesus rebukes the disciples and he says, you know what? This lady, she's an extravagant worshiper. Wherever, from generation to generation to generation, whenever people talk about the gospel, they're going to talk about her. 
In other words, this issue of worship is something that we bring. It's something that we pour out. In other words, she says, this is something that I have chosen to bring. And, man, I, I don't know about you, but I don't want to be a consumer of worship. I, I want to be a carrier of worship. And, and so that's why I worship the way that I do. That's why I, I give the way that I do. And that's why I serve the way that I do. See, we, we have a principle here at Fellowship of the Rockies, and it, it's, it's, it's said all different ways. But, but out of this story, it would be said this way. We break our jars so you can break yours. That's how you lead in worship. In fact, is it starts at the elder level. Once a month when we have elders meeting, the first 30 minutes of our elders meeting is nothing but worship. We gather around a keyboard. Pastor Chad leads us, and it's all of our elders are gathered around a, a, a keyboard. And we worship together. We, we thank God together. We praise to God, God together. We pray for one another. We ask God for insight. We ask God for wisdom before we ever look at any church business. We feel it is important that we create a culture of worship here. We do that every weekend. Our worship team breaks their jars so you can break yours. So you can enter, in, 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 enter into worship with us. And the challenge is, is when we gather here, don't allow the worship team to be the offering for you. Engage in worship with them. Let's all, let's all bring something to him. And let's worship him. Here's the second value. We value a heart of, we, we value a heart of service. Uh, the scripture says, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up the body of Christ. The Bible tells us this, it's a leader's responsibility to equip the people to do the work of the ministry, and then the church serves the body. And as the church grows, there is a temptation for the church to feel like, you know what, it's the staff's job to do that. That's what we pay them for. It's the staff's job to do the work of the ministry. And then the congregation are just like the spectators, but we have to work hard to involve everybody. You realize at Fellowship of the Rockies, we have well over 300 ministry partners that serve together with us. There is no way we could pull off a weekend service without our ministry partners. If a ministry partner doesn't show up or if a ministry partner calls off at the last moment, then their area of ministry will suffer because of that. In other words, it takes all of us working together, fitting together perfectly. That's why Next Steps is so important for you. As we walk through that, we learn how we're gifted and how we're shaped in our area of ministry to where we could find a place to serve with, within the body. Uh, Colossians tells us how in which we should serve. It says this. Colossians 3.23 says, Whatever you do, work heartily. As for the Lord, not for men, knowing from the Lord will receive the inheritance as your reward, you are serving the Lord Christ. In other words, this, when we serve, we're serving Jesus himself. When we serve, we, we serve him. And as a result of that, we should serve him with excellence. I, I believe this from my core. We had it as our first principles of fellowship, the Rockies, our first values of fellowship, the Rockies, that the church, more than any other institution, should be committed to excellence. Excellence does not mean perfection. It simply means this, that we bring our very best to him. Uh, here's what the scripture says in Philippians 3.12. It says, not that I've already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Jesus Christ has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That's why our values and our priorities must always remain the same. 
And the one of the reasons we serve with excellence is because Jesus deserves our best. God gave his very best for us. He gave a perfect offering for us. He gave his first for us. And all the way through the Old Testament, you realize that they brought their very best to him. They brought their first fruits and not their leftovers. They, they brought their very best to him. And Colossians 3.17 goes on and says, Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to the God the Father through him. And so we're committed to excellence here. And the reason we are is for the sake of evangelism. If one of our primary reasons is to bring people to Jesus and help them understand how they can be forgiven, then we ought to be committed to excellence. I mean, I mean, we know this principle, right? If you go to something and it is excellent, doesn't it make you want to invite your friends? Doesn't it want to, won't you make you want to tell everybody about it? I mean, there's certain foods that I've discovered, and I felt they were excellent. And I'm like, I'm, if you're my friend, you, you know some of those foods. Like two weeks ago, I discovered for the very first time cinnamon roll Pop-Tarts. They're unbelievable, I'm telling you. I, I really believe this. If cinnamon roll Pop-Tarts fell from heaven instead of manna, the children of Israel would still be wandering. I mean, that's how I believe. Uh, this, this last week, Karen and I, we traveled to, uh, <coughs> we traveled to Florida for, um, for a Willow Creek conference for uh, the Global Leadership Summit that we do every year. A small group of pastors and their wives gather around, and, and it's a few days as we plan and pray and all these other things. And so, so we flew to Florida. Uh, the place that we were going was, was densely populated. So Karen and I decide, you know what, it'd be fun. Let's not get a rent-a-car this time. Let's do the Uber. I mean, we're, we're high tech. We're, you know what? We could do the Uber. How hard can that be? So we, we downloaded the app, and, uh, and we decided, you know what? We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna use the Uber. And so we made it from Tampa to the place where we were going. It was kind of fun. It was an interesting guy. And so over the course of four or five days, we probably used the Uber like five to ten times, and, and uh, we almost died only once. Uh, <laughs> It was the next to the last day, and so we called for an Uber, and we had to go, fortunately, only three miles away. Uh, this, this lady pulled up, and, and so we got in her car, and it was less than excellent. There were, like, newspapers scattered around and, and you know, and, 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 and fast food bags and uneaten ham or half-eaten hamburger stuff. And we're scooting all that stuff away, and there's, like, an odor of old food. And, and so, you know, we get in her car, and, and we start making our way. And so she had trouble, like, reading, reading road signs, and she bounced off the curbs a couple of times and almost hit a car. And then she tells us, she says, yeah, and she's driving. I'm like, yeah, just watch the road. And so and she tells us, she says, I, hey, I just want you guys to know I got a special gift. I go, oh, gosh, what is that gift? And so she says, she says, we have a special gift of reading people. We can read, I can read people before they ever say a word. And I'm like, how about you read the road? We will, we, we will just call it good if you read the road. And you just, you know. And so now Karen and I, we have our turn by turn. We're trying. We finally get to the place. And so she heard us in the car talk like the next day we're flying out and we're going back to the airport. Well, that's an hour drive. And she goes, hey, listen, I'm actually working tomorrow. So what I'm reading is that I should take you to the airport. I'm like, you need to work on that gift. And so, <laughs> and so she says, like, here's my cell phone number. So why don't you call me in the morning? I'm going to show up. And then I'll get here 15 minutes early. You step out of your conference, your meeting, you jump in the Uber, and I will take you. Do you think we called her? No. You know why? It was less than excellent. 
There's something about excellence. There's some people that will look at excellence in the local church and say, oh, it's a performance. That's one of the criticisms. It is not a performance. It is simply offering our very best to him. Because he deserves our best. He deserves our best. And this should be a place that is done with excellence. Because we represent Christ. We're ambassadors of Christ. So it's done in such a way, it makes you easy. It makes it easy for you to invite your friends. It makes it easy for you to invite your lost friends to where you know that there's nothing weird or stupid going to go on here. That it's a safe place for them to meet Christ. It's a safe place to, 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 to walk this journey of, of, with him. And so, and so we, we do things here. Not perfection. Listen, we have a long ways to go. I, I know it. You know, there's a lot of people say you do it with excellence, it's going to make you prideful. I think the opposite happens. When your goal is excellence, it will keep you humble. Because you realize how far you how far how short you fall each time. I, I promise you this, I've never walked off from preaching and said, nailed it. <laughs> never. There's usually a word I mispronounce, a word I shouldn't say. There's something I, I, I walk off and said, I could have said that better, I could have done that better. Because here's what I've learned about excellence when when excellence, when perfection is the goal, it won't make you prideful. It'll keep you humble. Keep you humble. And that's why you know I need God's presence on my life. I need God's presence on my ministry. Here's the third one. We, we, we value a working faith. We value a working faith. Hebrews 11.6 says, And without faith it's impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and he rewards those who seek him. The history of the church, we have trusted God just by a whisper. God, you tell us what to do, we'll do it. God, you speak to us, we'll do it. Regardless if it makes any earthly sense or not, God, we'll, we'll just trust you. This church was birthed out of a whisper. Well, a lot of people saying this would never make it. This will never fly. Times in our ministry, you, many of you have been here a long time. You know times in our ministry, God has redirected us just by a whisper. In 2013, we got to the place to where, where the size of our facility was limiting our growth. I mean, I mean, we, we were packed and, and people standing, and we added another service. We, so we went to four services, and then we added a, a, a theater and, and so that people could, could view the service over there and by video on, the, on our campus, and, and we did that, and that just wasn't enough. And, and, so, and so we decided, we felt, our elders felt, we, we got to relocate. And in 2013, we met in this room. We, we found land. We found about 50 acres of land. It was, it was, it was, it was pl platted for a subdivision of about 147 lots. It had an appraised value of over $4 million. In the real estate market at that time, it was depressed. It was much different than here. And so we paid $465,000 cash for a piece of land that was appraised at over $4 million. Now tell me that's not God. And then when we bought it, there was a surplus in Pueblo on the market of about a five- to six-year surplus of residential lots. That's why a lot of developers struggled during that time. Experts told us it would take five to ten years for Pueblo to come back. But we knew God had given us a whisper. We knew God had called us to trust him. 
And so we bought it. We started raising money. Uh, we finished design, design development. We got all the per permits. And, uh, and now we're down to the place to where we just need a developer to come alongside of us. When we started this journey together, there was, there was five to six years of surplus of residential lots in Pueblo. Can I tell you what the surplus is now, just depending on who you ask? Only three to six months of a surplus. Developers are looking for lots to develop right now because there's a shortage. I prayed so hard that for this vision weekend, I'd be able to announce to you that we found a developer, we got a developer signed on the dotted line, and we're, we're taking the next step. That is not the case. What I can tell you is this. I am so thankful that I can tell you that we have a developer, actually some developers, very interested. And we have one developer right now that is walking through due diligence to see if they can make the numbers work. See if it can be a win for the church and a win for them. A win for the church and a win for the, the community. So I'm just going to simply ask you would, you, would you, would you begin praying with us? See, here, here's what happens with Big Vision. Big Vision, what I've learned, it, it generates enthusiasm. There's something about vision to where it's much bigger than us that we cannot do on our own, that we have to do together, we have to do with God, that just makes your heart beat faster. It draws us to prayer. I mean, when you do something that, that, that God's going to have to come through to make it happen, it causes you to pray, and it motivates sacrifice. I mean, in this history, we got people sacrificially giving uh, to the general fund and to the building fund, and it also produces harmony. I mean, soldiers in the barracks with nothing to do, uh, many, <coughs> many times will turn on one another and bicker with one another, but soldiers on the battlefield... They will stand shoulder to shoulder, united. Why? Because they need each other. And I think one of the reasons churches bicker and fight and split is because they don't have big vision. Fact is, they may not really have any vision at all. It's just really what they can do on their own. But when you have a big vision and you know God's going to have to come through, there's something about that that produces harmony to where we rally around one vision. The last thing is this. We value the gospel. We value the gospel. Jesus said the primary reason he came to earth was to seek and save the lost. And he gave the church its primary focus, Matthew 28. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the earth. In other words, it's this promise that he has made to us that you do that, I'm, I'm going to be with you. You're going to have my presence it's so easy that as a church grows, that it walks away from the value of evangelism. And evangelism is no longer white hot. But we're called. That is our primary focus. That is our assignment. See, one of the things that grabbed me so much about Billy Graham's funeral, he knew his assignment. He knew, he knew his task. Fact is, years before his death, he met with his family. He says, you know what? I do not want my family. Um, I do not want my funeral about me. I don't want you guys to get up there and show video clips of me and talk about how many people accepted Christ under me, how many crusades I've done, how many millions of people I've spoken to. I don't want any of that. My life has not been about me, and it cannot be about me at my death. And he says, so here's what I want you to do. I want you to make this my last crusade. That's been my life. I'm going to have presidents here. I'm going to have government leaders here. I'm going to have celebrities, sports stars. People are going to be watching. Pastors are going to, people are going to be watching all over. And so I want you to make this my last crusade. Do not lift me up. You lift up the name of Jesus Christ. You lift him up. 
And that's what his, Billy Graham knew his assignment. When I was in seminary, I, I was preaching at the same time, and I was working on a master's at, at a seminary in Denver, and, and uh, I, I took a preaching class. And so I thought, good, that's one of the classes that I can, like, coast on because I got a lot of sermons. And so the teacher, the professor, gave us an assignment. He gave us a, a group of scriptures, and he said, I, I need you to write a, a sermon on this group of scriptures. And so I went through my sermon files, and I honestly didn't have a, a, a sermon on that group of scriptures, but I had one that was close. And if you're a preacher, you can make anything work. So I just kind of threw in his scriptures in the intro and then, then took my sermon and kind of massaged it a little bit, and I turned it in because I felt it was a good sermon. And so I turned it in, and so a couple of weeks later in class, he turns back uh, the sermons back, uh, the, the papers back out, and I get mine, and he put a big fat C on my paper. And I was offended. I hadn't made a C, and I thought, you know what? It's a good sermon. What is, you know? And so at the break, I walked up to Dr. Odom. I said, Dr. Odom, how could you give me a C? This is ridiculous. It's a good sermon. And Dr. Odom says, well, you're right. It's a good sermon. fact is, I may preach it in my church one day. He said, uh, he said it's a good sermon, and really, I should have given you an F. But by grace, I gave you a C. And I said, well, why would you give me a C when the sermon's good? And he said, I'll tell you why I gave you a C. That wasn't the assignment. That wasn't the assignment I gave you. Next time you do the assignment, I don't know about you. I don't want to get to heaven. And God looked at me and said, Charlie, you did some good things. You just didn't do the assignment that I gave you. I want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. You knew the assignment, and you lived out the assignment. Do you know the assignment that God has given you? 